Good morning, everybody. Um, I think one of the things that's already come out for me, which I think is really quite important, is this is very much a new and changing environment. And I'd like to suggest, Chris, that um, we could really do with some of that classic King's Fund clarification in terms of our nervousness at the moment. One of them is that competition and choice is just being banded around as a phrase, much like integration was. And you did that fantastic paper about a year and a half ago where you really unpacked competition and choice. And I think a real sense that actually it does need to be unpacked. Um, I'm going to give you a really unashamed view from the front line in terms of, I mean, you know what I do. We represent um, all of the um, England's um, NHS trusts and foundation trusts, community mental health um, acute and ambulance trusts. So I just want to give you a perspective of about how it looks like um, from where they sit. So the kind of key, the key issue at the moment is obviously apart from kind of keeping the service running, which I have to say I would make the observation this is one of the most pressured operational systems I've ever seen. There's a real, real driver at the moment to get to new patterns of provision. It's very clear that the way we are currently providing healthcare simply doesn't work. And I'd make the observation there are two real drivers here. There's a set of clinical drivers. And it's very clear the way I kind of like to describe it is that we seem to be trying to meet 21st century health needs with a 20th century um, system. And what we mean by 21st, health, um, 21st century health needs is the fact that if you look at the needs of frail elderly people, if you look at um, long-term conditions, they need a very different pattern of care from what we've currently got. And if you characterise what we've currently got, it's built on that model of an acute hospitalisation, something happens to you, usually a surgical intervention, you come out and all is well. And that we know increasingly that for, for um, frail elderly people and for people with long-term conditions, that simply doesn't work. So there's a real kind of clinical need to effectively move a whole bunch of care out of acute hospitals into much closer to the community. And we also know, and the, you know, the famous example that everybody quotes quite rightly um, is the London Stroke Unit example, is we know that we've got too many hospitals trying to do too many things and we absolutely kind of need to get a degree of specialisation and a degree of centralisation. There's also a financial driver. I mean, our very clear view is that, you know, we can't see how you can get through 10 years of flat cash uh, when you've got 4% demand increases without... If you want to keep and preserve the principles of the NHS in terms of not do explicit rationing, not move towards co-payments, you absolutely have to move to a different pattern of provision. And that seems to us to be the only way in which we can see the NHS getting through the next 10 years. So when we then talk about kind of competition, if you're sitting as an NHS trust and a foundation trust, I think the way in which most people in NHS trust and foundation trust view it is it's potentially, and the bit we're very nervous about, is it's potentially a block if you apply those disciplines and that ideology in an unthinking way, it's a block towards getting to um, the new patterns of provision that are needed. And let me just give you the kind of obvious example. We've already had it mentioned, which is, you know, there were two, there are two foundation trusts in Dorset who have identified the fact that they are going to be clinically and financially unsustainable in a three to five year period. They've done what seems to us to be a kind of perfectly sensible thing and identified that the best way to improve the quality of service that they're providing, the best way to be financially sustainable is for the two organisations to come together. And I just want to make it very clear, I'm not arguing that mergers and acquisitions are always the solution, but clearly for some they will be. 
And yet here they are, two and a half years later, having made that decision, having spent millions of pounds, stuck in a competition uh, merger control process, which, to be frank, feels to them and to us to be much, much more suited to um, the commercial environment um, and a much, much more pure and developed market situation. And for me, I think it's really interesting. The idea that somehow you would get a private organization coming in in rural Dorset to provide a degree of competition to what those district general hospitals do seems to me to be somewhat fanciful. And one of the things that I think we really need to distinguish is, is understand that in the NHS there are areas where there is a more developed competitive market marketplace, you know, community services being one example, mental health services being uh, another. But there are clearly swathes of the NHS where it is unrealistic to expect there to be a truly kind of competitive marketplace really anytime soon. So I just think um, that's a very good example of where if those two organisations are to maintain clinical and financial sustainability, they do need to come together. It seems a very, to me, a very sensible solution. And yet we now seem to be locked in a system where that seems to be being prevented. The second kind of example I think we kind of point to is it is really interesting what's happened with 111 over the last, you know, um, 12 months, which is we did want to have a new service. We wanted to use competitive market disciplines to effectively procure that service. So we put it out to tender right the way across the country. A number of our Ambulance Trust members said they were concerned about going through um, a pure market-based exercise like that. And they pointed out that, A, there was a risk of underbidding. They also pointed out that there was nervousness about the capability of both commissioners and providers to go through a pure market procurement exercise. And I just do think it is somewhat interesting that now we've gone through that process, all of those fears have kind of now been realised in the sense that we had a quasi-commercial um, organisation underbidding. Commissioners did find it difficult to judge between different kind of bids. Um, they found it difficult to identify where the kind of quality um, differentials were. There did seem to be a very specific emphasis on the amount of money. And as a result, that commercial, quasi-commercial provider uh, has now been unable to provide the service um, at the um, cost that they bid for. And who's being asked to pick up the pieces? Answer, surprise, surprise, the ambulance trusts that got underbid in the first place. So I'd just like to make the observation that in all my experience is you cannot go from a planned um, quasi-monopolistic marketplace in which, you know, procurement is still, it isn't really effectively used to suddenly being a completely developed market in which both commissioners and providers have suddenly magically overnight gained the experience of how to kind of, you know, run effective procurement processes. So, most markets that we've seen, and you can look at right the way kind of across public services, ranging from prisons, education, is there does need to be a, a, a timeline in which both commissioners and providers do gain a level of maturity and do gain a level of experience in which they can then, when we do start to go through these kind of public procurement processes in this way, competitive procurement processes, then effectively um, everybody has the level of expertise that they need to make them work properly. So I think our view is that we just need to be careful about the unthinking and rigid application of kind of competitive um, disciplines in the hope that somehow they will magically produce 
um, um, what is needed. And I think, as I said, there is a real concern that um, they get in the way of, for 88% of where the money is spent in the NHS with NHS Trust and Foundation Trust, they prevent those organisations becoming clinically and financially sustainable. I do want to just end, though, by just making a couple more observations on the other side, which is that we are not, there are some who stand um, in these places, in, in organisations, I mean, I think, for example, the BMA, who are absolutely adamantly opposed to competition, come what may. Uh, and I think, you know, you only have to look at what's happened in terms of the hospice movement, in terms of what Marie Curie can bring. I had a fantastic visit the other day just down the road to University College Hospital London's new cancer centre. And if you look at what the Teenage Cancer Trust is doing with UCH in that cancer centre, it is fantastic. So I think we do kind of need to recognise that a plurality of providers can make um, a really important difference and absolutely can improve outcomes. So I'm not standing here saying has to be NHS Foundation Trust and Trust come what may. And I think we, we, we particularly can't say that given that it's very clear um, that the quality of provision and the outcomes that have been provided by that sector has not been universally consistent. But, so, you know, we're not saying kind of competition no way. What we are saying, though, is you have to be careful about the way that these disciplines are introduced in what is very much still, it feels to us to be, uh, a market that's a, a system that's in transition from having been very much centrally planned and centrally run, moving towards a more competitive marketplace. It feels to us to still be more system than market. Thank you.